0: Tonight, we're going to talk about uh, the reasons why Jesus is going to come back again. Yeah, I've been doing a bunch of uh, lessons on this. Can you hear me? Are you okay? i just my hearing aids up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been doing some different lessons on this. and uh, You know, we've just gone through the coronavirus, and then we, before that, uh well, all right now we got the thing going on in Ukraine, and before that, at least in my memory, I remember 9-11. And then I remember the millennial thing, where it was the year 2000, and my grandmother thought the world was going to end. And like a lot of people did. And uh, before that, I remember the Gulf War. I remember that real well, because I was thinking, boy, I hope I don't get drafted. For <laughs> Agent <laughs> Matt probably remembers that time. And uh, there's always been some crisis. You know, my elder was in the Korean War. There was a crisis back then, Vietnam, World War II. It's always something. When these said, up, people will always say, well, you know, Jesus is just going to come back at any time. And that may be true. We don't know. Jesus may, is going to come. In fact, it is true. He's going to come back sometime. We just don't know when. But. Things have been going wrong in the world for at least eight thousand years, maybe a little bit longer than that. And there's no doubt that Jesus is going to come back. Um, Jesus himself said so in Matthew chapter twenty-four, in uh, Acts chapter one, starting in verse nine. The angels said he was going to come back, right? And then we, when we look through the writings of different apostles, we see them talking about. And coming back. So, you've three different groups of people saying he's going to come back. He's going to come back. But tonight I want to talk about why he will come back. What's the reason for coming back? The first one, the first reason that, that Jesus is going to come back is to judge the world. In John chapter 5, verse 24, it says, Most assuredly I say to you, this is, these are red letters, this is Jesus speaking. Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. And the one thing I want to focus in on about that is that it says that he who sent me, Jesus went from heaven to earth. Jesus is uniquely qualified to judge man. That's not, not just because he's God, but because he came to the earth and he lived as a man. Not only because he, he knows all of the statutes of heaven, but because he knows all of the troubles of earth, right? So he's, he's the one person uniquely qualified to be the judge of mankind. Um, if we look in Jude chapter 14, or Jude, <laughs> Jude chapter 1, Jude's only got the one chapter. (laughs) It's verse 14. You guys look for Jude chapter 14. Jude 14, verse 14. It says, Now Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesies about these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convince all who are ungodly, among them of their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. So, when did Enoch die? Well, <laughs> he didn't die, really. Right? So, yeah, so he was with God and then God. I think it says he translated him, took to him, or something like that. The King James says, translates, I believe. The idea that that Enoch didn't taste death; he went to heaven with God. But the thing that's interesting about Enoch is like he was a uh, a prophet before the flood, and really he's the only the only person that was that's indicated that it was a prophet before that time. So I find that kind of interesting. But the thing that I I take out of this passage is. As he says that he talks about all these ungodly people. And, and the idea is, is that if if you're guilty of being ungodly, you're not going to escape this judgment. And that's, you know, that's an important thing to consider, right? So it would let us know uh, it might might make us consider what uh what position we're in with regards to God. Are we godly or ungodly? I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to be in this ungodly camp because it doesn't sound very good. Right? The guilty are not gonna escape God's judgment. Look at one more scripture, we're gonna move on to the next point. Matthew chapter twenty-five. <coughs> Matthew twenty five, I want to start in verse thirty one. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food, I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked, you clothed me, I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. You know what that reminds me of? In uh, uh, 2 Timothy, there is a fellow named Onesiphorus. I believe that's how you say it. And uh, <clears throat> Paul was in prison, and this fellow sought out Paul to, to minister, you know, to help him out, to, to take him food, to encourage him, all of these different things. When I think about what that guy did to Paul, that's what Jesus is describing here. Here's Paul, a Christian in a bad place, and this fellow goes and finds him and helps him out. That's, a, that's an example of what we ought to do. He continues on. He says, Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, and naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or a prison come to you? The king answered and said to them, Surely I save you, and as much as you did to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And I think that the instruction there isn't just what we were talking about. is uh, We're supposed to take care of our brothers and sisters in Christ, especially when they're in need. Okay? That's, that's what we're supposed to do. He continues on. <laughs> then he will say to those on the left hand, Apart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. And I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, do you not take me in? Naked and you do not clothe me, sick and in prison and you do not visit me. And then they also will answer him, saying, Warren, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison, and did not minister to you?" And he said to them, "Surely I say it, as much as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away in everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life." You know, I, I make the point that that. We should behave this way towards other Christians, but we should behave this way towards our fellow man as well. You know, when we see a need, you know, we need to be the kind of people that are going to address that need. Now, a lot of times, you have to be a little bit wary because there's a lot of uh, hucksters out there. Um, But, you know, once in a while, you do come upon somebody who does need help, genuinely needs help. And we need to be the kind of people who are ready to uh, give that help. The one thing that I want to point out here, he says that there was a kingdom prepared. He said it was prepared for you from the foundation of the world. sort talking about heaven there. But he's also talking about another, another place it was prepared as well. And it says that there was everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And the one thing I always think about when I read that is, is that is hell was not prepared for mankind. God doesn't want man to go to hell. In fact, that's why he prepared hell for the devil and his angels. But that doesn't mean we can't end up there. But right? that wasn't God's intent. When, had, when God created hell, he, he intended that for for the devil. Right? But we can end up there as well. We've got to make sure. That we're doing the right things because God has appointed a day when we are going to be judged. We don't know when that is, but we definitely know that that's going to happen. That's point number one. Why, when will Christ, or why will Christ come again? To judge the world. Point number two. Another reason Christ will come again is to take vengeance. Let's look at Romans chapter 12. Romans 12 and verse 17, it says, Repay no one, evil for evil, have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you who live peaceably with all men, beloved, do not avenge yourselves rather, but give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay them the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Be thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing you will heat coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When somebody does something bad to you, what's the first thing you want to do? Right? You want to do the same thing back to them. And that's, I think, a pretty natural response but that's not a responsible commanded to have. Does anybody ever heat any coals on top of somebody's head? No? Would that hurt? <laughs> I think it would too much. I think this is figurative language. But you know, he if 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 somebody does something bad to you and you return it with good you know, that's kind of what he's talking about. And if you've ever done this sort of thing, you know that actually probably just burns the person up that you did it to. God said your life does work. So one thing I want to point out here is, is we, don't, we don't practice vengeance of ourselves. God's the one that practices vengeance. It's not for us. Let's go back to Jude again. This time we'll go to Jude chapter 7, How about right? <laughs> <laughs> Jude verse 7? Jude verse 7 says that Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner of these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. I think this example is given to let us know that this is is how God deals with these situations. (laughs) You know, Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed with fire. God took a vengeance on those people because of the the ungodly things that they were doing.
1: And that's left as as an example
0: to us about God's judgment against those that that do wrong. Um, If we look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 7, uh, it says, To give you who are troubled rest with, with us when the Lord Jesus revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. He shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. Let me tell you something. He says that in flaming fire he's going to take a vengeance on those who do not know God. Just like Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And then he adds this thing, and on those who do not obey the gospel. So I would say this evening that if you have not obeyed the gospel, uh, you better can't. get on that. Right? What is the gospel? What is it? What's it mean? The good news of what? Of Christ. Of Christ. He came to this world and he died on the cross for our sins. That's what the gospel is. The good news that he did that. So, just believing or knowing about that isn't enough because he says those who do not obey the gospel. Right? So there must be some doing that goes along with that. Right? Because that's what obedience is. It's you doing something. Right? Everybody agree with that? Right? So, you know, we can't um we can't be proclaiming that we're obeying the gospel if we're going out and getting drunk, right? Because our actions are not showing that we're following God's law or whatever sin you wanna, you wanna inject in there. We can't obey the gospel if uh we're ashamed to admit it. Christians in a group of people. That happens. Right? I think that happens to people all the time. We can't we claim to obey the gospel if we haven't been baptized for the remission of our sins. Right? Because that's integral to, to obeying the gospel. <coughs> so those are those are the things we got to worry about because God's going to take a vengeance on those who don't do those things. So that's our second point. Why will Christ come again to take a vengeance on the disobedient. Our last point this evening. To reward the faith. Though. Well, in a positive note, right? I had to rewrite this section last night because I was talking to Matt he, he gave me another idea. <laughs> Which is why you know it's good good to talk to other Christians, right? So so the reason that uh Jesus would come back is to reward those who are, are doing the right thing. Let's look at Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, and in verse 24, he says, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake find you. For what profit is a man if he gains the whole world to lose his own soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his orders. Surely I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. You've got to say, this, this verse hung me up for like several hours. Because in verse twenty seven it says, The Son of Man will come in the glory of his father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works and I was thinking, Well what what works are we going to be rewarded for? I was just kind of just pondering that. And then I said, Oh, hey dummy, look at the rest of the verse, right? Look at what I just read. He says, If anyone desires to come and let him deny himself a day on his cross or follow me. That's the works he's talking about. This idea of uh, putting uh, the, the the will of God ahead of our own will, right? Uh, we have all seen people who live their lives chasing after things, stuff. You know, that that could be a new car, that could be a better house, that could be the neighbor's wife, right? It could be a lot of different things. People get worked up and they chase after things that they think, if I get that thing, it's going to make me happy, right? I'm not happy because I because I don't have this thing. It's not just, you know, uh, cars and, and whatever, but it could be another person or anything that's sinful, whenever we miss the mark those people that are chasing after those things are are not doing the will of God, right?
1: He says, whoever
0: desires the same as life will lose it. So we're we're putting our life on on this earth more important than everything else. He says, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I think the idea is that we're putting Jesus first. That's what the idea of losing our life of course, it could mean that we actually physically lose our life for, for the sake of the gospel. That, that that happened, and it happens. Several years ago, I heard about, there was a, uh, I don't remember, was it was in a movie theater or in a train. And uh, a guy is, has a gun, and he asks the people, he says, are there any Christians in here? And a guy stands up, and he shoots them, and then another guy stood up. You want to talk about faith who was the second guy because he knew what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. Right? you remember that? That's the kind of faith we've got to have. It's got to be faith that we put into action. Jesus says here, he talks in the last verse here, he says, Surely I say to you, There are some standing here who shall not face death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. I want to point out that that's not, that happened a long time ago. That's not talking about the second coming of Christ. And I'll make this point that a king has a kingdom. And if we look at Acts chapter 2, this is a a pretty simple thing to see. Um, Acts chapter 2 in verse 29, where Peter's preaching here, and he says, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he's both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day, therefore being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath, to keep him from the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the crest to sit on his throne. And you know what? Jesus is sitting there today. Jesus is sitting on the throne now. He is the king. And as we're talking about all of these things, you know, Jesus is the one that is going to be the judge. In fact, um, if you remember, we're not going to turn there, but in Matthew 24, he talks about, he says, "He says, I go to prepare a place for you. Remember that? He says, in my father's house, there are many what? Rooms. Mansions, or what did you say? You're right, it says room, man. He used to say mansions oh, rooms. Rooms or mansions that There's an old word called manse. I think, like some, I think the Presbyterians still use that to refer to the preacher's house. That's, a, that's an archaic English word that means a, a place of abiding. Jesus said he's going to prepare a place for us. Right? That's that's why you know he talk, said about that. That was from the foundations of the world. This thing was going to be prepared. If we go to Revelation chapter twenty-one, we can kind of see this that. You see what this described. Revelation 21, starting at verse 5, it says, He sat on the throne and said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write these things, for they are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give him the fountain of water freely to whom he thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And I think we see two things described there. We see this thing that's brand new, this new Jerusalem. And it's been prepared for us. It says that he who overcomes... Overcomes what? What do you think he's talking about? Sin. Sin. He who overcomes sinful desires. Is it possible to live perfect and sinless? I don't. I haven't figured out how to do that yet. Right? We're, we're all we're all capable of making mistakes. And, and we do but one we have an advocate right and uh, I believe it's in first John and I, I I'm going to go there but he talks about having an advocate with Jesus when we commit a sin we have this ability to go to Jesus and ask for forgiveness of those things but if if we don't have Jesus we don't have that advocate and we can't ask for forgiveness of our sins. You know, Jesus said that there's a place reserved for us. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, Peter talks about that same thing, this idea of this inheritance reserved in heaven for us. And <clears throat> inside of Christ, or in Christ, we have that hope. But outside of Christ, we don't have that hope. Um, I'm going to turn over to Second Peter. This is the last scripture I have, I swear. <laughs> in Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 4, it says, For God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and deliver them in chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world to save Noah, one of eight peoples, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning them to destruction, making them an example for those afterward who would live ungodly. And then he goes on, he says, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds." You know, you ever feel like that? You ever feel like locked up? People, you know, the world around us, the people around us sometimes are just, are just dragging us down. And it, and it hurts our soul. You know, when I turn on the TV and I hear people cursing or promoting things that are sinful, it just, no, it just kills me. I, I, there's a particular podcast that I like listening to, and sometimes I just got to shut them off. I just can't stand his language. It hurts me. And sin ought to do that too much. This evening if there's one among us who has not obeyed the gospel of Christ just know that as we talk tonight that Jesus is coming back and he's coming back to judge us. He's coming back to enact vengeance on those who have not obeyed his gospel. And he's coming to take those who have obeyed up to heaven. And I would urge you to be in that last king. We need to make sure that we've done everything right. And if we've got something in our lives you know, that's holding us back, we need to make that change. I know all of us sudden you're a Christian. I don't believe there's anybody in here that's not been baptized. But if you have not, um, know that, that it's the most important thing you'll do in your life. There's one that has an eating ask you to come forward and we stand up always.